welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Well, I've got a lot to say this morning. What's, what else is new? Um, but if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's turn to, where shall we turn to first? Um, you, you can go to the book of John chapter 12. Um, I've given the guys, Mims over there at the moment, I've given them a lot of work. Um, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to read a lot of scriptures today, if that's okay. Because I don't want you to hear my opinion, I want you to hear God's word um, as we get to it today. And um, is that my slide? I don't know if that's my slide. That can just go off and go blank for now. But let's pray as we gather around God's word. It's our final authority. It's the book that we live our lives by. It is, it is, it is completely relevant to our lives. That's what my brain was searching for those words. It is completely relevant in this day and age, even though it was written thousands of years ago. The traditions that we hold are completely relevant and powerful. And so come on, let's just, um, let's just pray and um, allow God to do his best work deeply in us today. Father, we thank you. Our hearts are open. We don't want to approach this time with, with a heart of stone. But Father, we want to approach it with a, a soft heart, a heart of flesh, a heart, Father, that is receptacle to your word and to your truth. And we just ask that you would come and move by your spirit. Take these words, Father, anoint them. Let them be full of life today. Let, them, let, them, um, let, let this time together paint a picture of who Jesus is like we've never known before. Let it, let it show us more of who Jesus is, Holy Spirit, so that we can be more like him. Father, we worship you. We ask you to speak to our hearts, change our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. My study over the last couple of weeks could, could have kind of broken this down into about 45 different messages. And so we're just going to do our best to stay on track today. So really pray for me. Um, all those that are into intercessory prayer, I need your help today because I've got... Um, I've done a bit of a deep dive and I want to talk today about something that um, over the next 12 to 18 months I want to talk a lot about and that is about your personal identity in Jesus, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Not what style of church you go to, are you Pentecostal, Baptist, are you Anglican, Lutheran, you know, all the other, you know, there's like a zoo of churches these days. And we are one in the, in, in the plethora of selections of styles, right? But the truth is, is that it all has to come back to who Jesus is. It all has to come back to what Jesus has done. And so I want to entitle today's message. Are you ready for this? I've got some props. Don't get too excited. I want to entitle this message, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. 
<laughs> that was a weird response. In year five and six, I used to walk around my local oval um, before school and all the cool kids came to mock me. And I used to think, Alicia and I, for those of you that don't know, it's our 20th wedding anniversary in December. I know I don't look that old, but I am. Um, anyway, that was a statement by faith. Um, stay on track, Matt. And uh, we used to walk around, we used to walk around the, um, I, well, I used to walk around the oval picking up the little, this is in Western Australia, the little dandelions. Is that what they're called? They're weeds, basically. And um, she loves me. She loves me not. Anyone done that? Let's just confess our sins one before another. Look, there are people straight up. How many other people here are just like, this guy's crazy. Where do we exit? The, only, the doors are there. So it makes it really awkward me leaving right now. Oh, fair enough too. Um, he loves me. He loves me not. So I suppose a few questions to frame our talk today and what I really want to talk about is... Maybe the first question could be, do you really believe in what Jesus did? Do you really believe, sorry, my collar's annoying me. Do you really believe in what Jesus did? Do you really believe that just like, I want that to really sink in. Because at its core, it's a really profound question that alters everything about who we are as followers of Jesus, aka Christians. Do you really believe in the fullness of what Jesus did? Because until people really believe in what Jesus did, people are not going to be able to live the way that Jesus invites us to live. It's gonna be impossible. We're not gonna have a knowledge we're not going to, if we don't fully believe that what he did, what Jesus did, which we'll talk about in a moment, if we don't fully believe it, if, we, if it's not at the core of who we are, then it's going to be impossible to live the way that he wants us to live. Your believing is really important. What you believe is really important. See, wrong believing Right, well, I'll say it like this, right living is impossible when you have wrong believing. And this is why in identity is so important. Because if you don't truly know what the finished work of Jesus has done for your life, then you're from the very outset believing the wrong thing about who God has actually called you to be. So when you believe wrong, you end up living wrong. When you believe wrong about what he's done, or more importantly, the appropriation of that to your life, you end up living wrong. And so I wanna tackle that question this morning, what did Jesus do? For the sake of time, we're gonna go to the end of the sermon right now, right? And I'm gonna give you five things that Jesus has accomplished at the cross. I'm gonna throw out some weird theological words that maybe you don't know what they mean. We're gonna explain what they mean. And I'm gonna give you these five things. And then I just wanna to go to a few texts in the Bible. So a few things that Jesus said, a few things that other writers in the Bible, Paul, etc., have said, because I wanna lay this as a real scriptural foundation for you today. 
Because ultimately, I want... You right there, Michelle? Just, just <laughs> interrupting. <laughs> so good. We're working these things out. It's great. It's fantastic. It's like family. It was like the, when we were in the foyer and Chip, who's on our team, he went, went to the bathroom and came out and it was like the most um, non-inconspicuous thing ever because the door just the whole way was like... Hello, Chip. Mind your own business, mate. Um, you should be in here, by the way. Um, five things Christ accomplished by his death, all right? I want you to write this one. Number one, it's going to be up on the screen. Mim, number one, expiation, we're going to say. It means the removal of our sin and guilt. Christ's death removes, it removes our sin and our guilt, okay? It's a theological word. Every time I go to read it, I don't know how to pronounce it. X, anyone want to give it a go? That's what I've been saying the whole time. Thank you. That was confirmation. Expiation. It means the removal of sin. John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what is he doing to your sin? He has taken away expiation. He has removed our sin. And as a result of Him removing our sin, we no longer are condemned and therefore we have no guilt or shame. We don't need to have any guilt or shame, okay? Expiation, that's what the work of Jesus, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus did. I want to really encourage you to take notes this morning. If I'm talking too fast, just take a photo of the screen. You can do that. And that's an easy, quick way of remembering it. Number two, the second thing that Jesus accomplished in his death at the cross. We're in a university lecture, so I'm in a different mode this morning. Is propitiation. Okay? Propitiation, where expiation refers to the removal of our sins, propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath, okay? There was always, it's just the way it was, we don't have time to get into the detail of it right now, but there was always a, um, the, the wages of our sin, the New Testament teaches us, the wages of our sin was death. And so on the other side of that was God's, was judgment, essentially. And so the work of Jesus is the removal, the propitiation of judgment. All right, let's keep moving. Number three, I'm going faster than I thought, is the word reconciliation. Okay, we're going to break that last one down a little bit more. Reconciliation, what did Jesus do? Reconciliation refers to the removal of our alienation or separation from God. Okay, write that down. You once, because of your sins in the old covenant, you and I, under the law, okay, we were separated from God. Sin, the Bible teaches us, entered through one man, Adam, okay. But later on through the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, righteousness came, okay? We were separated from God. I'm not sure I have time to read it, but let's just quickly flick over to Romans chapter five. And I wanna read this just quickly. I wasn't gonna read it, but it says this, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have 
Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the most exciting scriptures I'm telling you right now. Therefore, having been justified by what? Does it say works? Does it say church attendance? Does it say that you've been justified because your parents were Christians? No, it says you were justified by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that that our world need more than ever is peace with God. Like the world offer this fake version of peace that is extremely temporary. But God offers this kind of peace through the person of Jesus that, you, that allows you to walk through and weather the greatest of storms and still have peace. The greatest of hardships and still have peace. Listen to this. Uh, Jesus Christ, verse two, through whom we also have access by faith. How does it happen? Do we have access by works? Do we have it by being a good person? No, we have it by faith in what? In ourselves? No, faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Let's, let's leave it there. So we once were separated, but now because of the finished work of Jesus, He has given us, we have been reconciled back to the Father. We once were separated in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, first part of human history. We had to do a whole lot of things on a regular basis to be able to access God. But Jesus then came along and the Bible tells us that He fulfilled the law and the requirements of the law. And so now you and I have access. Why? We once were separated, but now by faith in the work of Jesus, we are reconciled, all right? Number four we uh, is the word redemption, is the word redemption. And I wanna point out these three things that Christ has specifically redeemed us from, okay? Our sins had us put into captivity, which we need to be delivered. And the price that is to be paid to deliver someone from captivity is called a ransom. Have you seen that movie? The ransom, it's called a ransom. And so Jesus presented himself, good movie, yeah. Jesus presented himself as the ransom price for our sins. Think about this. This, I know it's basic, but it's important that you believe what the Bible says about what Jesus did. Because if you live in the reality of this, right? Like I think we, we understand it as a reality, but we don't actually, we don't actualize it into our world, Right? That's the process of renewing our mind. But Jesus paid, Christ's death accomplished redemption for us, means that it accomplished deliverance from our captivity through the payment of this ransom price. And these are the three things that he has released us from. Number one, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
This is why we sing this song. Our, our team wrote, Christ be magnified. Why would we magnify Him? Because He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Number two, Christ redeemed us from the guilt of our sin. We are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 3. And lastly, what have been we've been redeemed from? Christ redeemed us from the power of sin. The power of sin. This is such good news. This is such good news. Did you you are you've been redeemed from the power of sin. Number 5, the last thing that what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Are you good? We're back at school. Who actually had a university lecture in this theatre? There's a few of you. Raise your hand high. Let me see you. You're experts. You haven't been. Come on, bro. Someone raise their hand. Joker. Number five. This is a good one too. Are you with me? You're all so quiet. Is that because I'm just talking weird? Yeah, it's good. Thanks. Just needed that affirmation of man. Didn't really. Number five. Number five. He defeated the powers of darkness. Christ's death was defeated, has, was a defeat of the power of Satan. Listen to this, Colossians 3.15, it's up there. He, opened, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them. Isn't that the good news of Jesus? That he has defeated the powers of darkness. I think a big part of our problem, especially in the Pentecostal tradition, is we're looking for demons under every... We're, we're lifting up these tray tables wondering if there's a, a demon in here. Like, I don't think we should be ignorant. I think that we should be wise. I think that we should be spiritually discerning. I think that we should pray. But I also think that we're never praying for victory. We're always praying from a place of victory, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus has triumphed over the powers of darkness. And because He has triumphed over it, He has accomplished that for you and for me. And so now a part of our job as we kind of go full circle back to the question, do we really believe in what Jesus has done for us? The implications of answering this question in the light of these last things is understanding that, well, the implications are massive, aren't they? They're massive because we enter into prayer differently. We enter into worship differently. We go about our living in a different way when we live knowing that Jesus did these things, that Jesus, uh, 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 that Jesus removed our, our sin, that, that, um, that he, he, he removed God's judgment, that He reconciled us, that we're not separated. Worship for me as a young worship leader used to be such a striving thing. God, I hope you show up today. As if it was all my efforts and that there was just the right atmosphere in the room to get God to move. And God somehow through my effort and through the combination 
of the right people doing the right things at the right time (laughs) and us singing the right songs and you being in the right mood and smiling and lifting your hands and singing loudly and then, oh, wow, something like, oh. And I used to, as as a young person, I used to strive to enter the presence of God because I didn't believe in the fullness. I didn't, honestly, I didn't believe in what Jesus had accomplished for me. I didn't truly believe it. So I kept going into these two modes. Well, I kept going here and going, God, wow, you're so awesome. I'm saved by grace all here, right? I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace. But then over here, Lord, I hope you bless me. I hope you're with me today. Over here, I'm like, oh, holy, yep, I know the Bible says that by stripes we're healed. Over here, when I'm standing in front of someone that needs healing, <laughs> I'm like, hope you can, hope you get someone else that's got more faith. And I had an identity issue. I had an identity issue. And the identity issue that I had had everything to do with me not having right believing around the finished work of Jesus. And as a result, I kept fluctuating between living under the curse of the law, right? It's not because Jesus hadn't done the work. It's because my mind had not been renewed to believe. And so I kept swinging this pendulum of like the finished work, here I am, this is good, I'm loved, I'm accepted. Now, any grace conversation that you hear and hear in this church is not the grace conversation that says just go and live whatever your life you want. Because my honest belief that whenever you encounter Jesus, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, does a deep transformational work in your life. I think we've introduced people to religion and not to Jesus. And then we've wondered why they haven't changed. Because we're getting them to, we're trying to get them to live by a system, not in relationship with a person. Sounds like the law to me. And so I don't know about you, but I know for my own life, I'm just going to talk about my life. I know over the last 25, 30 years of me being a radical follower of Jesus, I've fluctuated between both sides where I keep, even though Jesus has defeated the law, fulfilled the law, sorry, he's done all those things, he's defeated Satan, he's under our feet. We're we're not separated from God anymore, we have access to him. We don't live under the curse of the law anymore. But I find myself because my mind hasn't been renewed and because I don't because I forget at times to keep bringing my heart as a worshiper before the Lord for him to transform me and change me from the inside out. And because I've lived largely going for behavior modification. My heart has never changed. And so the change is always short-lived. It's like a New Year's resolution where we're like, I'm going to go to the gym. Like my, the beach body I'm going to have is going to be, I'm going to rival Luke. It's going to be amazing, right? I'm just going to be there. It's going to be phenomenal. Two weeks later, all this money on gym equipment, I've bought the weightlifting gloves and everything. Come on, somebody. Two weeks later, I'm not at the gym. 
right? Why? Because I'm living out of a res- I'm I'm living out of just here. I'm trying to ch- I'm trying to change the external. It shouldn't be a New Year's resolution. It should be a New Year's revelation. We need to see who Jesus is. We what we behold. Second Corinthians chapter three tells us. We behold him as in a mirror and we are changed into the thing that we are looking at, which is Jesus. So we've got to keep looking at him. We've got to keep looking at him. Let's now go to John chapter 12 um, and we'll break this down. Before we do, can I give you a few more scriptures? Is that okay with you? You might want to photo these because I'm going to go through them fast for the sake of time. Second Corinthians 5.21. This is all about your identity, okay? This is all about your identity, okay? This is either the Apostle Paul speaking to a church that's in a similar conundrum that we are, that's going through the tension of trying to work out what it is to be a follower of Jesus in this new way. They're so relig- religious. They, they know the law. They know so many different things. And uh, this, is, this is Paul or this is Jesus talking about the life that he's given. But let's look at this 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 21. It says, God made him, all right? This is you. I'm not talking about a preacher, a pastor. I'm not talking about the person that you think deserves it more. I'm not talking about the person that you think is the absolute prayer warrior. I'm talking about the basics of what Jesus has done, Okay about you. You can be a newborn baby, like on the front row here, so cute. You can be like that, or you can be as old as whoever the oldest person is here. We're not going to point you out. Okay. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him, this has been my week, people, who, ha, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3.9, this is all about your identity. I hope this is building you up. It says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Okay, listen to that. That's a thing called self-righteousness. And self-righteousness comes from trying to achieve all the Christian things that religion has told you you need to achieve. Right? So it says here, not having a righteousness of my own. That own righteousness comes from your own performance, right? Um, Of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith, there's that word again, in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I'll ask you a really simple question. Would you rather live under the shadow of your righteousness or Christ's righteousness? It's an easy question to answer. Why? Because you live with yourself. You could lock yourself in a room with have no one else there, have no internet connection, no phone. It's just you and yourself. Someone brings food in there for you every now and then. They're nice people. You will probably still sin and act out of that nature if you're in that room even by yourself. You know your own thinking. Come on. So we want to be understanding that this isn't about our righteousness. This is about Christ's righteousness. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all. So powerful. The righteous for the unrighteous and bringing to you 
uh, and to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. First Corinthians 1.30, let's move fast. It, was, uh, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So who has become that? Have we, have we earned that or deserved that or worked that? No, we've received it. Jesus became it. And because Jesus became it, we get to access it. Righteousness, holiness, redemption. Romans 3.21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, there it is again, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Genesis 15.6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is absolutely mental. My mind has been exploding this week thinking about this. Remember, Abram lied multiple times. But did you know, and so we've got to understand that we don't, oh, we just don't have time. I need about 14 sessions. We live, well, the, the Old Testament live under that covenant of Abraham, not the covenant of Moses, the covenant of Abraham. The promises of God came through Abraham, not Moses. Moses introduced the law. Now the law was perfect and the law was necessary, but our inheritance is not connected to the law, the Mosaic law. It's connected to the promise that came to Abraham. Abraham, who was a liar, the book of Hebrews talks about Abraham quite a bit. So did, so did some of the other epistles. Talks about how God, held, God um, he did not waver in unbelief, Right? about Abraham. This is a man that was scared because there was a foreign king, right? I want you to think about this week. This is a man that was scared because there was a foreign king and his wife was like Miss Egypt. She was beautiful, okay? She was like Miss Ur or Luz or wherever they're from. She was amazing, right? And he was scared that they would kill him to get to his wife. So what did he do? He lied about who she was. And he said, it's my sister. I mean, that's weird. Come up with a better story, Abraham. But anyway, <laughs> it's my sister, right? And as a result, that's a lie. But listen to, listen to what that scripture says. He, Abram, believed the Lord. Like, is he a liar or not? He's not a liar. It can't be accounted to him as a liar because the Lord didn't exist. The law did not exist until we get to Moses. And because the law did not exist, there was no law to break. It is quiet in here. And so when you think about that, Abraham believed. And the New Testament writers and Jesus' work is calling us back to this place where if you don't understand that you've got to believe in the work of Jesus, you're going to keep slipping back into this place where you live under the curse of the law rather than under faith in the finished work of Jesus. Let's keep reading. I haven't even got to John yet. Um, there, there, there no one will be declared righteous in his sight, observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become sin conscious. 
Did you see that? No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, right? Romans 10, 4, Christ in, is the end of the law, right? Am I blowing your brains? Lots of information, but it's all good. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who... Who believes? Who believes? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. We keep living as if it is. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. <laughs> know, that I am, know that a man, Galatians 2.16, is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put on faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and may not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. John 1 verses 2 and 1 and then we'll get to John, I promise you. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ the righteous one. How good is that? This isn't about sinning or not sinning. This is about the deep work that God does through His grace by the Spirit empowers you to live righteous lives because good fruit comes from a good tree, right? Good fruit, righteousness is gonna come from a righteous tree. And so this isn't about saying, go and live how you want. This is not that greasy grace message. This is about continually presenting your life before the Lord for transformation, knowing that our righteousness is not of our own works or doing, but it's of believing in the finished work of Jesus. And I wanna finish with this. We're not gonna have time for anything else. Hebrews, you stay in John, but I'm just going to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14. It says this. Are you still alive? That's good. We're going to be done in a few moments. In as much as the, uh, in as much then, this is the New King James Version, as the children of, the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their, sorry, who fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let's read it in the Amplified Version and just bring out a few thoughts. Therefore, since these, since these his children share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin. So that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent, him who had the power of death, that is the devil. How good is that? That is, yeah, that's worth a, a hand clap right there. And that he, Jesus, might free all those through the haunting fear of death were held in slavery throughout their lives. What's it trying to say? It's trying to say to us, the author of Hebrews, no one knows 
who the author of Hebrews is because the author of Hebrews does not announce himself within the letter to the Hebrews that he's the writer. A lot of theologians think it was Paul that wrote it, but we will just never know. That one's, that one's out until we get to heaven, right? We just don't know. But what we do know is we do know that the book of Hebrews was written to, a, to the Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? They're the Jewish people. They're the people that are living under the law. And if you read it, and I want to encourage you to do so this week, you'll notice that a lot of Hebrews, in fact, a lot of the new, um, the, the letters to the churches, the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, etc., are all writing, especially Hebrews, is writing to this tension of the Hebrew people fluctuating between the message and the good news of Jesus that the curse of the law is broken back into their Jewish roots and their old way of living. And so what's this saying? It's saying that he, Jesus, took on flesh and blood. It's talking very Hebrew sacrifice language, right? Because that's what they know. They know that their sins are only remitted or forgiven through a priest sacrificing for them. They only know the remission of their sin, the taking away of their sin. They only know a few of those five things that I pointed out earlier through that work of religion, through the work of a priest. And Jesus is saying, and this text is saying that he took on flesh and blood so that he could die. Why? Because he couldn't die as God. God can't die. Right? And so the whole purpose of his coming was so that he could take on flesh and blood in order that he could become the ultimate once and for all sin offering for us. Did you hear that? Once and for all sin offering. Now let's go, let's go to John chapter 12 and this is where we're going to close. It says this. You ready for this? You still alive? Just give me a wave if you're still there. Some people are sleeping. The Trenters got off a flight. V was nodding a bit before, but it's all good. Matt was elbowing her. Wake up. Listen, this is Jesus. I want to break this down. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. So what's the subject right now? The judgment of this world, okay? The judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said signifying by what death he would die from. I used to quote this as a young worship leader that didn't understand the Bible. Come on, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. So come on, let's lift up the Jesus. No, it's actually talking about him dying on the cross. It's talking about him being lifted up on the cross. And that's the context, that's, the, that's just the truth of what he's talking about. Now, when he is lifted up, and his presence fills the place, maybe the praise and worship leaders aren't so wrong, but that's a bad place to quote that scripture, right? And so if I be lifted up, I'll be, I will draw all peoples. It used to say all men unto myself, but we got woke and we started to be more, gen- needed to be more gender inclusive. If I, I will draw all people to myself. 
So we see here, now Jesus says this, now verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Look at this sentence, right? So the subject here is the judgment of this world, right? Stick with me. We're going to land somewhere in a moment. The judgment of this world. And then if you look, if you look there closely, right, or there, you'll see uh, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. And do you see just after the D on world, there's a thing called a semicolon. Now, I'm terrible at English, but I Googled all this. So if I get this wrong, take it up with Google. But that semicolon means the sentence isn't finished. He's about to add some thoughts onto the back of his subject. He hasn't finished talking about judgment yet, right? So he says, he, he, he says we see that semicolon, means he's going to give it a thought that happens to be on the subject, which is the judgment of this world. Now we see the word. Now I want you to zoom in as well. Hopefully it's in this. It's not quite in that. But if you've got your own Bibles, open up your own Bibles whenever you can, even on your iPhones or whatever, to John chapter 12. And have a look closely at verse number 32. And you will notice that that word peoples or that word men's, depending on what translation you're reading, is actually italicized. When it is italicized, it means that the translators added that word in to the text to help it make grammatical sense. And in doing so, at times, um, there's conversation around a whole lot of different scriptures, right? That maybe, maybe we've added our English grammar marks in the wrong spots. There's a whole lot of things. There's, there's Psalms. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I'll lift up a standard against them, right? When the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, I'll lift the standard up against them. Some people actually believe it's like, when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, I will lift up a standard against them. That sounds more like our redemptive God, doesn't it? And so we don't always get this right in these translations. So I want to submit to you today my thoughts that have been rattling around my brain this week. The subject here is judgment, right? The context, if you're ever wanting to interpret Scripture, the first lesson that you learn in, in, in exegeting Scripture is you must read it in context. If you read it out of context, you will get the Bible to say what you want it to say. Okay, you must read it within context and you must let the word shape you, not you shape the word. Don't read your opinion into what you think the text is saying. Come with an open, humble heart and let the word be the word and change you. The word is our, the final authority that we live by. Amen. And so that word peoples, or men, please notice it's italicized, which means it wasn't originally there. The translators added it. And whenever that word is italicized, it means it's not there in the original Greek, okay? So what's the subject? The subject is judgment. Now, I get why it's been translated in this way, and in one breath, it leads us to the same conclusion. Because if Jesus is lifted up, right, he will draw all men to himself because when Jesus is crucified and when we 
see how good God is, of course mankind are going to see the goodness and the passion and the glory and the grace of who Jesus is. So the natural byproduct of that is people are going to come running to the good news of Jesus. Religion isn't religion is bad news, but the message of Jesus is good news. It's it's not a hard sell. Right? It's good. We've got the best news in the world. It's the fact that our sins have been remitted. They're gone. They're forgotten. Gone. And so I get why the translators put that word peoples in there. But truly, if we're reading this in context, maybe we could have put another word in there too. Or that word could be something else. Maybe, because remember, what's the subject? The subject is judgment, right? The subject is judgment. It's judgment. It's like a wand. The subject is judgment. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment to myself. This is the good news of Jesus. See, when you don't understand the scripture and you don't understand the finished work of Jesus, like I know you're thinking like, hang on, can we do that? Can we change that word peoples to judgment? Someone did it for you already. That's the truth. That's just the truth of it. So I'm just submitting a thought here to you today. It's not theologically out of line with what we believe that Jesus did. He became the curse on the tree. We've already quoted all those scriptures that he took our judgment. I'm just trying to help you to see it again that Jesus himself is saying, and if I'm lifted, if I'm crucified on the cross, it makes sense, doesn't it? I'm gonna draw all the judgment that was due to you. I'm gonna take it upon myself. You get what he deserves and he got what you deserve. <laughs> Let me say that again. You get what he deserves. And he got the judgment that you and I deserve. You got you get he he gets the wages. He gets the wages that you and I deserve and we get the wages that he deserves. Are you with me? You you get life. He got death. You get freedom. He got judgment. And so I kind of, I wanted to call this, this message, he loves me, he loves me not, simply because that's the way that we live our Christianity. But I think after all the scripture reading we've done today and the time we've spent, we've seen that he loves me, he loves me not. We need to do away with that religious way of thinking. He loves me, I had a good day today. I prayed, it was awesome. I woke up not feeling so good. He loves me not. (gasps) He loves me, I got that promotion at work. It was incredible, praise God, God's so faithful. He loves me not, global recession looming. 
He loves me. Someone gave me a word at church. He loves me not. The pastor never prays for me. (laughs) Making a mess here. He loves me. My coffee came out so quick this morning. (laughs) He and the baristas love me not. I got it lukewarm. I nearly spewed it out of my mouth. He loves me. I'm feeling free today from that dark cloud of anxiety and oppression that I've been living with for so long. We just talk real here. He loves me not. I feel terrible. He loves me. He loves me not. That was free, that one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Our Christianity is so based upon the temporal, but we're talking about what Jesus actually accomplished. I'm feeling Pentecostal right now, I want to tell you. He accomplished it all. It's done. We're the ones that keep fluctuating back into the law and living under the curse of the law. We're the ones that keep, he loves me, he loves me not. But can I tell you the mindset change that I'm wanting to you, you to see today? Are you ready for this? I want you to hear this. Cal, would you jump on the keys for us, man? I want you to see this today. This is important for me. This, is, this whole thing has been leading up to this flower illustration. <laughs> You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have right standing with God. All those scriptures about the judgment that He took, He took it for you. But it is finished. That's what He said. When He was on that tree, like Warren was talking about, when He was on that cross, He lifted up His head and He said, it is finished. What, what's finished? He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. What? The law has been fulfilled. We are no longer under the curse of the sin and law. Death has been defeated. That's why the apostles said, death, where is your sting? It's gone. And you need to know today that because you are the righteousness of God, like here's a scripture that's gonna blow your mind. Remember that scripture? We love quoting it in our churches. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yes, we are. Start flipping living that way. I just woke up Vanessa again. Stop living in He Loves Me Not. When you live in He loves me, I am the righteousness of God, not because I'm anything special. If you've come to this church because you think there's special people here, you're in the wrong place. You are the righteousness of God. It's all Jesus. And see where we've got to change because this is about identity now, okay? This is so that you can walk into a market and you're not wondering if God's gonna be there with you in that market to pray for someone or in your workplace because you're not living by He loves me, He loves me not. This, you're, you're living by something different. I need a new flower. It's a waste of flowers, isn't it? I know, sorry. 
To all the vegans out there, I apologise. We're not living that way anymore though, are we? This is, this, is how, this, is, this is what the finished work of Jesus did. Ready? He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This is going to be a long last point, so you better get with me. He still loves me. Didn't work out the way I thought it would. He loves me. Well, that was challenging. He loves me. I'm going to pray for that person. He loves me. 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 And because He loves me that Christ died for you and I, while we were still yet sinners, Christ gave Himself for us. Why? He loves me. We must live out of the revelation of the fact that He loves me. You're broken, you've failed, you've stuffed up. I have. I continue to fall short of God's standards. I continue to, I need to, I need to be someone that's continually bringing my mind before Him to renew and to change and my heart. Like the world's just a messed up place. It's too easy to hate. It's too easy to think thoughts that are unhealthy. So I need to keep bringing myself back before Him, but I'll never do it if I have the wrong believing about what Jesus has done. And He loves me doesn't mean we just live this life that we want and just go on about it. No, He loves me. Our response to Him and to His love is one of worship. I wanted to read like 15 verses in Hebrews chapter 10, but we don't have time for that this morning. So come on, let's just stand to our feet. And I hope you get this in your heart. This is why we sing Christ be magnified, right? Let's have the team up. We're going to sing this just one or two times. This is why we do it because we, and we do it. We're going to respond to Him. We're going to respond to Him in worship. Why not? Because He demands it. God's not like that. <laughs> That's not why I'm here in church on a Sunday. I'm here because He deserves it. I'm here because He's worthy of it. I'm here because He has changed my identity from unrighteous to righteous. And that I have access to God. I was separated, but I'm not anymore. So come on, we're just gonna respond in worship. Beck's gonna come and close the meeting. But come on, can we just worship Him today? Would you lift your hands and would you respond to that word in faith today? Just let the Holy Spirit come upon you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you for what it accomplished. We thank you for the work that you've done. And we give you all the glory and the praise and the honour. And Father, it is ours, just reasonable worship as Romans chapter 12 teaches us to present our bodies right now as a sacrifice before You. Why? Because we love You, Jesus. We love You, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. So good. So good. Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. This is not 
worthy like you. Sing Christ be magnified, Christ be magnified. Not in heaven, this not in heaven like you. Be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. There's no 